Hello everyone under neoliberal garbage. Welcome to this new episode of Hung's podcast where we're going to talk about who we are. So four members, Julie, Justin, Hae and Yonghyun will discuss the complexities of existence as Korean from their differing vantage points in diaspora. They'll touch upon how they found their respective ways to Hung and what their experiences have looked like so far. They also talk about how Hung differs from other social and political spaces they've been a part of, as well as their hopes for the collective going forward. Enjoy the episode. Hi, my name is Hahia, and I'll be moderating today's podcast about general stuff in Hung and how. Uh, people are experiencing the collective and uh, just a general discussion. So um, does anyone want to start with uh, introducing themselves and uh, yeah, just tell us anything about yourself? Julie, you want to go? You're the newest. Uh, yeah, I think Justin and I joined at around the same time. Um, so just a little bit about me. I'm a graduate student at the University of Toronto in the Department of Geography and Planning. Um, and my research interests sort of focus on um, informal labor, fringe finance, and um, information technologies. Um, but I am originally from Vancouver. I, I had no idea that Julie and I, well, I know that I was a baby in the group. I didn't know that Julie <laughs> had recently joined as well. Um, I'm kind of not really doing anything. Uh, I'm pretty much just holed up in my apartment working, not really having anything concrete. Um, so yeah, I feel like I've, I've no, no capacity with which to report in, but, uh, glad to be here. Okay. We appreciate your existence as it is without, <laughs> <laughs> with as much activity as you would like. Um, so thank you, Justin. Uh, what about you, Youngkyun? You wanna wanna join in? Yeah. Um, I'm hi, I'm Youngkyun. Um, I was born and raised in South Korea for most of the time, but now I'm in the US, I'm in the Midwest, uh, like writing a PhD dissertation and trying to translate some text from Spanish uh, into Korean. And in Hung, I think what I do is basically like hold some spaces so that the members of Hun can talk each other, like share their thoughts and checking in. Uh, so it's been a while since we are, we are doing that. And yeah, it was great uh, to have like continue that kind of conversation. Some things we do, uh, like Youngkyun just mentioned, uh, Youngkyun hosts the uh, the reading group that we do internally with our members. And uh, recently, a writing group, a creative writing group was started. And I know that Justin, um, your piece was shared there recently. Do you want to elaborate on your experience? Oh yeah, it, it's it's pretty much in like a nascent form. It was like the first uh, workshop meeting that we had, which are um, like really different from the reading groups. And I'm glad that there's a separate space for that. Um, I sent in a piece, Chloe sent in some pieces um, and it was just like a really nice area to like share writing in like a, in a space that isn't hostile in a way, because um, like a lot of times workshops can like devolve into uh, a kind of criticality that just like eats away at writers instead of like supporting them in a sense. Um, 
I, I, I appreciate that space for many of the same reasons as the reading group where we can all have these like really generous conversations and explore things, um, but they are like really formally different. So uh, I'm glad to have that. I initially joined because Chloe, it's such a, like a contingent circumstance that I think is really funny. I was on Instagram complaining about white Marxists and the sense of like <laughs> really orthodox Marxists who see race as just like a secondary effect of the circulation of capital. Um, so it's like very epiphenomenal. And I was just like, I think it was just in my story where I was like, never trust a white Marxist or some like <laughs> reductive, <laughs> reductive rant about it. And Chloe was like, here's a group that I think you'd be interested in. Uh, and that was like my entire <laughs> introduction. And I kind of just uh, dove in from there. So yeah, I, I feel like I, I engage with what I can, and that's really the reading group and now with the, the writing workshop. Like one of the things I really appreciate is that you sort of just show up as you are. And um, like I, there have been many times where I've shown up to a reading group meeting being like, I am totally unprepared. I have no idea what to say, but just like being in that space um, is like enough in a sense. Um, so, yeah having these conversations being the space there's just something about it is very generative to me and uh yeah really meaningful oh, can i add one thing to what justin said because like justin mentioned that like one of the motivation why he joined when was that because like he was complaining about white orthodox marxists uh, so <laughs> that that was somewhat like reminded me the last set one of the last uh reading group sessions uh about like uh mental health right uh, so yeah. we are talking about like therapy uh and the one of the question was uh is it that like the, the therapy culture in the u.s is a capitalist right uh like uh, are subsumed by the capitalist system and then like uh so we shared on kind of uh, article uh, written for like jacobin magazine uh, and yeah, like, so Justin, you mentioned that after reading that article, like we are, which uh, the main, mainly the main argument of this article was that yes, uh, therapy is uh, totally like capitalist. So, uh, yeah, we need to like think beyond of this, uh, uh, like consumer therapy system so that we can, I don't know, go beyond, uh, this capitalist system. So yeah, well, something like yeah. that. And then like, uh, yeah, Justin, like, uh criticized it uh like oh yeah this like, exactly uh represents like, reflects how white orthodox marxists think about everything so i uh, yeah i just wanted to add that because like that also this kind of our sentiment uh against this orthodoxism is somewhat uh, related to the the membership or like, how like, the, how, how say the character of Hung members in general so what what do we want what do we share when it comes to like the political stance um yeah i think the only sort of experience that i had in sort of um community reading groups uh was with very white marxist marxists in vancouver and it was very um pardon the pun but alienating <laughs> in a more holistic sense um in that you know their concerns were were <laughs> Uh, we're, we're so, you know, isolated and, you know, I think inward looking and I think Hung has been such a great opportunity um, to be really forward thinking and holistic about our, our concerns um, 
politically. And also um, one thing that's been, I think, really generative of me participating in this group, not primarily um, uh, through the reading group, although I've started to catch up on the podcasts, um, is just that there is like critical inquiry and we do kind of question each other's responses, but there's always this like, we're always doing it in good faith and we're always doing it with this kind of, um, maybe not objective, but environment of, of community care, which I think touches on the um, previous reading group about um, uh, mental health and how can we move it outside of uh, this sort of like very singularly faceted healthcare outlook. Yeah. Uh, when I was in grad school, I wasted so much energy arguing with people who were clearly just arguing for like the theatrics of debate or, or just mm. like really de deploying these like bad faith arguments. Um, and so it's, it's refreshing to be in a space where like, even if I disagree with like the finer points of what someone is saying, I don't feel like it's a, a complete waste of time to be more capacious towards like thinking about what they're meaning and what they're engaging with. Um, yeah, it's just like, it's just a huge difference. I also did kind of want to touch on something that Justin had mentioned earlier, um, about how he got involved in hung. And I love telling anyone who will listen to me the story of how I got involved, which is through Hahe. And it was through these really like specific serendipitous circumstances that spans like, I think three continents and um, four years, I think, because Hahe and I originally met in Amsterdam at the University of Amsterdam, uh, where I was an exchange student and Hahe was doing her undergraduate degree, I believe. And I remember I walked in on the first day of class and our eyes just kind of met and we just did this like weird glazed look at each other for the entire time. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and um, I went up to go uh, after the, the session, I went up to the professor to ask a question and then Hahe was lined up behind me and I thought she was going to ask a question next. But then I turned around and she was waiting for me. <laughs> <laughs> the professor and I thought she was going to ask um are you Korean so I was prepared to say yes I'm Korean um but she didn't ask me she told me she said you are Korean <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember us um connecting and, and talking very casually over the semester and um kind of like on and off on social media and then I think a couple months ago, I was in this like really terrible relationship where he was really obsessed with, um, <laughs> th this guy was so obsessed with whether or not I was just dating him for his view, the view in his apartment. And I never really thought about that <laughs> in Toronto and um, never thought about it, but I was like, oh, this is a really nice view. So one day I just like, <laughs> I, I just took a, a, a picture of the view out of his apartment, which included the CN Tower. And then Hahe was like, are you in Toronto? And I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, I am in Toronto. She's like, I'm in Toronto for like three days. And I was like, oh, my gosh, let's meet up. And then we arranged something really quickly. And then we talked for like a full night. Um, and it was weird because we had shown up dressed very similarly, uh, which was <laughs> funny. It was like the same idea, but different fonts which is funny. We were both wearing like big scarves and like novelty hats, which is fun, <laughs> completely uncoordinated. And halfway through our hangout, she's like, oh, do, do, do you want to join this thing? And I was like, I would love to join this thing. This sounds so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so 
that's kind of how I got involved. But again, like also very weird, serendipitous, um, precarious little timeline. No, but Julie, um, do you remember when you got me that cup of coffee um, at the cafe at the university? And then you told me I needed to make a podcast. Well, we have officially <laughs> fulfilled <laughs> that dream. That is, it's, it was a long road, but we finally did it. And like Justin and Chloe, if I remember correct, correctly, also you met, I don't know, in some cafeteria, like, uh, and I don't know what did you say to her, but like, for some, you said something similar to that, right? Um, it, it was, it was a bit different. Um, the, the head of like the master's graduate school program where he was like, uh, you should challenge yourself. And, you know, take this real class about European art. And so she just felt like uh, very, very discouraged from like pursuing um, what she wanted to. Sorry, this feels so weird, like speaking for Chloe in a sense. But like uh, she, she was basically complaining about that. And I was like, like having that enormous pressure to modify how you want to study Um uh, often seems like the only way to go forward. And so it's just like, listen, this this guy who's running everything, don't fucking listen to him. Um, and that was kind of how we first bonded. I had never had the like, you are Korean um, <laughs> conversation <laughs> because uh, like, first of all, my last name is Japanese. And so it, it didn't really come up. And also like, I personally never initiate with that kind of stuff because um, like I'm from the Midwest I rarely interacted with other uh, like Korean Americans. And when I did, it was through like church. And so like my first reaction isn't to say like, oh, my people, it, it, it's more, it was like a trained uh, averse reaction to like, oh, Christian conservative. That was like my initial impression because that was almost all the Korean uh Korean people that I like grew up around and so yeah it, it was more of us bonding over how bullshit some aspects of grad school are okay good times bad times yeah so it's more about like your anti-academia sentiments like your shared yeah. sentiments. okay got it yeah I mean I I, mean, I, I I was interested in this question because like as, as we know that the, the majority of them are look like I don't know, Koreans, right? So we, like the commonality is somewhat based on that kind of like question. Uh, or like, yeah. what we are, like, what, what are we? Like you know, that kind of question, like identity or whatever. So I, so that's why I thought that it was interesting that like the, the, the beginning of the relationship, for example, between the Hung members was by confirming the fact that, oh, are you Korean? Like, uh, but what kind of Korean are you? Like, what, what kind of Koreanness are you pursuing? But uh, I, I'm saying I'm I'm saying this not to emphasize uh, the kind of the identity or characteristics of Hung members, like based on like uh, some kind of ethnicity, because as we see, like uh, we have other members who are not like ethnically like Korean, right? So. Um, yeah, so I, I thought it might be interesting to just like uh, think about like not not now but in the future because also we have some statement on the web website, uh, so it, which says that uh, we are trying to uh, think uh, critically about the Koreanness, right? Uh, but still, it's about 
Koreanness, which is identity mm. or some kind of uh, I don't know. Like from my perspective, it sounds like something fixed. Uh, but we, I at least me, I I'm against uh, to that kind of perception of Koreanness as something fixed, uh, because that really um, limits the possibility to uh, unfold a different type of politics and life, uh, communal life together. So um, yeah, I think being part of Hung has opened my eyes, let's say, to uh, <laughs> what being Korean and how to be Korean um, might look like, you know, Koreanness otherwise. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think up until maybe like into the fall of last year, I was I would have always described myself as like a reluctant Korean, like I'm Korean. Um, I just happen to be Korean and, you know, I've never really found deliberate meaning and purpose in it. It was just something that was about me um, wow, yes. that didn't really inform how I looked at the world. And I think I, and now after I moved to Toronto, um, I definitely think um, how it's impacted me has um, become a lot clearer. But I actually grew up around a lot of Koreans, like a lot, a lot of Koreans. <laughs> Um, cause I lived in, um, Coquitlam, which is like a very distinctly Korean ethnoverb. Like if you're in the city and they ask, oh, are you from here? And I go, yeah, from Coquitlam. And they go, oh, you must be Korean. Like, it's just ubiquitous. Like it's, it's just such a, like a common understanding here that if you are from Coquitlam, you're probably Korean. And I remember like you would speak Korean in classrooms to socialize with friends and, you know, everyone um, would have all these very like Korean lunches and we'd share pantan at lunch, which is a very sort of like in Korea type thing to do. Um, but I was always like, I think even within that group, pretty isolated. And it, it, it was more of like a generational generation based and also I think class based, which is why I felt really isolated from kind of building identity and, and really feeling um, claimed by Korean people. Um, because I kind of came, my, my parents came on this wave of immigration actually more associated with the 80s, right, of small business owners. And my parents owned uh, a Halloween store, which has since closed down on 8th and Main in downtown East Side, called New York Novelties. Um, and they just owned a lot of small businesses, worked in kitchens, la, 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 la. But I was born later, like almost into the 2000s. So most of the kids I went to school with were more so, um, you know, they were living kind of expat life's life and uh, they were like parachute kids. So they had more than enough money to spend on stuff. So it was like that, dis, um, that very like weird intersection of like class and generation. Yeah. So I was like very much like a reluctant Korean and, and especially I think it's reflected in my research area, which doesn't really have a lot to do with my Korean-ness. Julia, I love that we're both, that we were both reluctant Koreans because that, yeah. <laughs> that was definitely me for the longest time where it's like, yeah, I happen to be Korean, so what? And it's, it's interesting to me because like you grew up, that happened to you, um, like growing up around a lot of Koreans, like you've identified a lot of like the mechanics as to why for me, like growing up with basically all white people, um, I always just chalked it up to like me trying to survive white spaces in a sense. 
Um, and so I think it's really interesting that like even like there are barriers even in like Korean communities where um, you can feel uh, like you're not a part of it in some way. Um, and so that that's very interesting because a lot of times I'd be like, well, how would my life be different if I did grow up around more Korean people? Um, I feel like it I, at this point, I feel like maybe not so much. <laughs> Like yeah, I'd, I'd still feel isolated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think a lot of my life was actually framed around this tension between like really understand of of not being claimed by a lot of Koreans in my community, but also wanting mm-hmm. to be or, or questioning, do I even want to be right? And you know, I I realized that like okay, they don't want to associate with with me because I don't have a lot of money because my what my parents do for 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 money, um, they'll want to associate with me because I get really good grades. <laughs> oh my god! No. So honestly, I like that was a lot of my motivation behind performing academically as a kid, and it was like senior year of high school, and I remember. Uh, they finally were like, okay, okay, we get it. We get it because I had uh, beaten a lot of them for some major scholarships in the <laughs> lower land. And I, it, I, I remember them as much as I had been a reluctant Korean, they were reluctantly claiming me, you know? Oh my God. Um, and I just remember feeling so like, well, this is kind of bullshit because I had, I, I was finally claimed I was finally a Korean, you know, verified, but I didn't really have much meaning in it. So it just felt like this weird, um, empty space. And I think, you know, while I don't think I explicitly started thinking about, you know, what, how can my Koreanness inform, you know, how I pursue solidarity, how I pursue leftist spaces. I think it really started genuinely in Amsterdam when I met Hahe. And I also met this other student, who is a master's student at the time. Yeah, she was she was just really cool. And it was like this weird evolution, this weird temporal smattering of events. It, I can't even say it's like a clear, coherent narrative. It's just, oh, these things have happened. Julie, I feel like I'm your I'm your shadow self because I did <laughs> I did fucking horrible in high school. Um, because I was I was always someone who maybe like against to be like against the stereotype or something. I have no idea. I wasn't thinking complexly about it, but I always hated school. Um, Cause I always, it, it always felt to me a lot more about discipline than like learning anything. It, it was a weird contrast to like my home life because I was like, ha, no, if I do and say dumb shit and push back here, no one can hit me, which is like, oh my God. <laughs> like the worst thing that can happen. But uh I think that's also a reason why I have felt disconnected from my Koreanness for like a very long time in my life. Like just patriarchal violence. I think that's what I associate being Korean with. So yeah, it's a bit difficult to love yourself and your culture and your community when like the closest example of that is not the greatest. That concept, I really enjoy, uh, liked, uh, like reluctant Korean, uh, because uh, our experience might differ. Because I, yeah, most of the time I lived in South Korea and I came to the U.S. But still, I experienced that kind of feeling of reluctant Korean because the Korean community you can uh, join here is some kind of like student associations 
or which is based on what is what was your previous uh, uh, educational institution? You, you know what I'm saying. So, um, so if you are from Seoul National University, uh, if you are from like Yonsei University, so like there's like three great universities, uh, so-called the great university in South Korea, right? SKY, Sky, and then like so they have like their own like community, and then like so if you want to find some Koreanness in the U.S. in abroad, uh, the available options might be really limited. Uh, like this kind of like, it's also related to what Hahe you said, even though I cannot generalize all these kind of like communities or like uh, groups, but it is somewhat like, uh, I don't know, um, uh, like it belongs to that kind of like patriarchal order because, um, and even though that is not that explicit, but you can still you can still feel it uh, through the culture or like how they enjoy their life, how they study, how they socialize. So, so it, in that sense, I was a little reluctant to be Korean here, and then I was looking for some different like community uh, which address my concern, but not just like giving up what I am, uh, what what I'm doing, what how I feel. So yeah, so that explains a little bit why I happen to join him. I feel like these sentiments have like bred a lot of, uh, yeah, just antagonism towards being Korean for a very long time in my life. But it's, you know, only I think really after joining him and um, being in Korea for like a, a little over a year that I was able to kind of uh, piece together a way of being uh, in my body that was not harmful. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, the effects of like uh, white supremacy and colonialism and, you know, heteropatriarchy um, and ableism on so much of the way we've been raised culturally, you know, it can't be denied. And I feel like that's really glossed over in these uh, conversations and trying to figure out what it means to be a Korean person or a person of a Korean heritage. Because a lot of this conversation um, has been gen like has been centered around um, educational institutions. Like if I look at this article that um, Yongo, another member once shared in um, a reading group uh, session we had about like the like the Korean church experience or Korean church adjacent experiences. Um, uh, Yongo shared this article about how um, I think it was written by Chang Changuk Ho, yeah Ho Jangguk. Um, yeah, Ho Jangguk, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like he shared this um, article about essentially how um, like the uplift theory of Booker T. Washington was used to create or shape the Korean education system, especially in like missionary run schools. So, you know, when I look at that and how so much of us are obsessed with being in these spaces that were deliberately created to undervalue our humanity in a sense. Like for me, it was um, like what you're talking about for me felt pretty pronounced in the sense that like I never learned how to speak Korean. So I apparently spoke it when I was a baby. Um, but I just like uh, stopped being immersed in it um, because like pretty early on, I was born in the U.S., but then my parents, my mom went back to Korea for a little bit and then back to the U.S. 
And so like when we were back in Korea for a little bit, I spoke a little bit of Korean, but then we uh, came back to the US. And so um, I never had, like it, it was hard for me to communicate with other Korean people in general. And um, like all the church spaces had like, for some reason, the like youth group at the local Korean church like spoke exclusively in English, I guess, assimilation or some shit. Um, so I spoke to people there, but um, yeah, it, because from one angle, people will be like, oh, it's such a shame that you never learned Korean because it's seen as like, well, I didn't really put in the effort, which is um, like an oversimplification of how like I navigate my life. Um, and on the other hand, like I, there's a reason why it's so cliche to be like an elegy for a lost language, you know, when you're in the diaspora, because um, like using the language really signifies like this nexus of of relations of power and like history and like all these different forces. Um, and so like that, that's one of the things that I've continuously had to navigate. Um, and I will say it, it this, this may be a, a spicy take, but the, with like the emergence of Korean culture being more like socially acceptable, I'm glad that Korean food is um, like enjoyed more by people and that more people are learning Korean, but I'm, I'm kind of salty when I'm, when I was bullied all the time for having quote unquote, disgusting lunches full of Korean food. And now there are people on TikTok being like, look at this exotic food that I've just discovered. I don't know. I don't I know. That, that's, that's the spiciness in me speaking. Word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just infuriating. And it's hard to, it's hard for me. Not that I feel like I have to cater to to white people's feelings on this, but like, it's hard for me to not be like actively discouraging people from learning about things and experiencing new things. So I think that's important. But at the same time, I'm like, please stop bombarding me with this shit. I, uh, I find it really funny that the foods that people really usually approach me with are like the foods I really don't like eating. Like one of the most popular ones are, are is, is like tapte. I don't like tapte because it's like too like greasy. I don't know what it is about it, but I really don't like tapte. And like, like, uh, what is it? Bulgogi is probably like bottom barrel stuff for me. Like I'll eat it if I can't think of anything else to make or eat. Oh my God. But it's like typically the stuff that people approach you with, which I find really funny. And like things like, um, like chokbal, which I love, um, people are just like not into it, which I find really funny. They're like, oh, I love Korean food. I'm like, oh my God. Like I like, you know, I'm going to go get tukbal tonight. Do you want to come? And they're like, well, it, absolutely not. Please feed me some like greasy peas. <laughs> because I, I think that there is still, um, while people are engaging with it, and I think um, that's great. Um, it's, it's more so I think like a way, like a how rather than a what that, has become much more important to me um, in engaging with, um, you know, Korean cultural artifacts and practices. And I think like that's abundantly clear still. Yeah, like they're still approaching it in this kind of like, as you said, Justin, like a, is with, um, not to put it crassly, but like a colonizer's mindset of like, oh, look, discovery. Yeah. <laughs> discovery. <laughs> Yeah, uh, just like regarding that, the emergence of like Korean culture uh, in these days, 
like it's everywhere, right? In the movies, uh, like foods and beauty, right? Uh, the the co cosmetic uh, products. So uh, I think, yeah, this is really kind of an important topic we need to deal with, even though it's just in, I totally agree with you. I don't like that, like suddenly like, yeah, but I don't want to be snobby neither because like, oh, hey, <laughs> yeah. like you know, like we talked about like speed game, like in the previous episode and they're like, uh, the, like there are two extreme tendencies uh, in, in response to the emergence of these like K, uh, I don't know, K, K dramas, K TV shows or K movies that one is that, wow, the, the, our representation is growing. Oh, it's great for Korean people and Korean Americans and Korean everywhere. And then there's another uh, extreme uh, tendency that, oh, I don't like it. Like, uh, it's just like, uh, it's, this is not what I want to think of, of Korea. Korea is more deep, uh, like more complicated, I don't know. Uh, we have Han. Uh, you cannot understand it, uh, or this kind of like stuff, right? So um, I I think uh, Justin and Julie, you indicated really important just just this kind of question, like how to like talk about how to think of these uh, extremes uh, regarding the emergence of Korean representation, because like in many podcasts regarding. Asian American culture, Asian Canadian culture, uh, in in in, uh, in the world of the English speaking world, they, I don't know, some people just say that, hey, but it, at least it's great that uh, we are represented more uh, in Disney movies, in any kind of mainstream uh, North American culture, we are seeing more Asians. So please don't criticize it because we are not there yet. Uh, we need to, uh, like how how say like create more pies so that later maybe we can uh, think of the quality of it, the complicatedness of the textures of it. But now it's not like that. So don't criticize how bad is crazy rich Asians, how bad is like Squid Game, how whatever. Like so, yeah. But ideally, I'm really interested in talk, talking, continue talking about this uh, topic, like uh, the dilemma uh, that we have as Hung members. Those are, those are some like really great points about how like Korean culture is processed. Um, and, that, and that makes me think about like, in addition to everything that you covered, there's this almost like anthropological review of Korean media or Korean American media, where it's taken as indicative of the essential character of Koreanness. And so like, a, a piece of media, even if it's just like one poem or one TV show or one thing, like there, it comes under so much scrutiny and the stakes of it are so high. And I, and a lot of times I'm just like, can we just let this thing live as like a limited perspective of one multitudinous thing, you know? So like, I, I feel like a lot of times, even just trying to like rally around a piece of media is itself like a form of engagement that does a disservice to um, like the ways in which culture travels and evolves and like affects people and says things about people. Um, so yeah, I, oh God, there's just, there's just so much shit to say about that. It could be the next reading group session topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think another point in that is that I think that the, way that a lot of um, Korean media and like sort of, I, I think Justin, you called it like an 
anthropological review is like there there's this really important gender component that I think Kahe pointed to that doesn't get spoken enough. Like I feel like for um, you know, a culture that is so heavily gendered, uh, structured around gender, like it 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 gets such minimal mention in um the sort of Western consumption of that culture, which I find really interesting. Um and I, I don't know, I've been thinking, whenever I think of that, I think a lot about, like, say, Jespier Poir's work. I think that's her name. Yes, yes. Yeah. About how, like, some cultures, um, gendered components are heavily politicized, whereas, you know, others, for example, Korean culture, Korean peoples, um, are not, when it is incredibly violent. And I remember when The Vegetarian came out, um, and I was seeing a lot of reviews from non-Koreans. And when I say non-Koreans, I typically mean like white cis viewers. (laughs) Um, And I was really like really shocked. And these were some people who were like um, um, flaunting their like MAs or PhDs in English literature or something like that. And um, they were like, oh, it's this really abstract um, question about violence and nature and blah, blah, blah. And they go on and on and on. And they don't talk about this very prevalent issue of domestic and gendered violence in in Korea and among uh, mm. the Korean diaspora, which I, I find really interesting. And I think, you know, if it's not made, like, I think there is a really um, important, um, there's a, obviously I can't say um, because my language skills aren't there yet, but I think that there are emerging discussions in Korea and in in film and literature and like online discourse about um, gender. Um, but I think oftentimes when you try and engage in a in questions about queerness and sexuality here, queerness, sexuality, gender, and so on, like you get labeled automatically as non-Korean, which I find really interesting, or like totally Westernized. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this would probably. Um, lead to a great rant by Hyunggu, but unfortunately she's not here. <laughs> Do your own. Oh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I have like the the, the fire in me. Um, oh, trust like, me, you have the fire. You are burning. Like our, um Olympic flame that we borrow from. <laughs> no, you are, you, are just, you are just the flame, just go. You can do it. I don't, I don't know. I just find it really frustrating, um, especially with, I think one of the, um, the most um, identifiable um, alternative Korean like groups of makers or whatever or groups or of creatives in the U.S. is like like that that weird cohort of like Bobby Lee the comedian, uh, Dave Cho the artist, like Stephen Yun who often do like those podcasts together uh, and like put out different things, and they have such a like. Um, gendered understanding of what it means to be Korean and failure in being Korean and blah, 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 blah. But I'm so, I'm always so pissed off that it doesn't include any consideration of like gendered violence. Like God knows David Cho is, is just his work and his discourse is rife with that. Um, and I find it really frustrating because you, it's so difficult to, um, to interject those narratives because again, people are saying like, oh, well, we don't have a lot of representation. We don't have a lot of representation. We don't have a lot of representation. Yeah, and I I don't think I'm like as well-versed in talking about gender within the context of being Korean and, and all of these tensions, but 
something that I find really frustrating in my own work is like um, when people talk about like, there, there's this really popular book called, I think, Automating the Future. And it um, it's like a really seminal book within that idea of like fully automated luxury communism. And it like completely, completely uh, glosses over the role of how capitalism exploits social reproduction. And they define exploited work under capitalism solely through waged labor, which is really insane. And yeah, really insane. And I don't get it at all. And, you know, they don't think about things like what has, how, in what ways has exploited work been um, discursively transformed through the idea of entrepreneurship, you know, especially with gig and platform economies um, through like, you know, through slums, especially in reference to like, say Mike Davis's work. Yeah. Like it's, it's just really boggling at how laughable these like giant leaps over gender are um, in order to maintain this kind of very heteropatriarchal view of exploitation and especially exploitation in and through Korean communities. That's the fire. It's burning. (laughs) Yeah, and and I think when we think about consuming Korean cultural artifacts and and um, whatever, one of those artifacts, unfortunately, are often women. You know, and I I do note, like especially like being young and single and Korean in this like this wave of Korean media, like I've become a cultural artifact that people want to collect, and it's been incredibly frustrating. And no. yeah, <laughs> like. like I refuse to be a collectible. No. Like it's, it's, it's really, I I didn't even really understand how explicit and insidious that um, entitlement was. And I've been thinking about how, you know, white people feel so entitled to be desired by Asian people in general, but I guess specifically in this case, you know, Korean people. And like, I know a lot of my Korean male friends, they'll be approached by white women and they'll be like, they'll just be this assumption that they're into them because like, oh, you know, there's this presumed sexual hierarchy. And it's, it's, it's just, it like ruins my fucking day. Like, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, it's just so much process. Like that's a fucking lot. Thanks. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. <laughs> the, number of times, the number of times people have come up to me and like bars or what have you, and they they just don't even say hello. They're just like, hi, I like Asian women. Oh. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, great, great, okay, great for you. And oh my goodness, Julie, this happened after you oh, left no. at the university. So I tried to like put in like a formal complaint because there was this one white, Dutch male cis head male Jewish man on campus. <laughs> he just kept stalking me and other Asian women. Every time I saw him, he would just be talking to another Asian woman. Oh my God. Yeah. So then I tried to lodge a complaint and he had harassed multiple people, like my friends as well. And I tried to lodge a complaint. I went with my friend. And the confidential advisor, whatever, she was just like, oh, maybe, maybe he just likes Asian women. I'm like, okay, white woman. Okay, great, great. Thanks. And uh, 
Yes. I do not feel <laughs> I just feel like <laughs> Oh my gosh, I don't have words. I just feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> you just ruined your fucking day. It's just like what the fuck? Mm. I don't know. I know you guys um I missed it, but there was this uh reading group on Asian American masculinities, I think. I don't I don't know if maybe there's some connecting threads there. So so like we talked we touched a little bit about like uh Asian women being a kind of artifact or the object of the sexual gaze from white male specifically, right? And I think like in that session, previous session about Asian masculinity or Asian American, Asian Canadian masculinity in general. So we also talked about the other kind of opposite situation, which could be a myth or uh, or like exaggerated or kind of like, yeah, just like kind of mythical feelings widely shared by Asian male, heterosexual, cis people in the US, in Canada, in wherever, uh, which, which is about like, I don't know who are we, but like this kind of Asian males feel like uh, we are even not the, uh, the object of this kind of any sexual desire, like specifically in this kind of, racial hierarchy in the like uh in the US specifically. Uh so I, I was also interested because also I share some kind of uh biological like aspects with them. So um <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so so I think that's uh really sad that that kind of feeling is still kind of very strongly exists within uh a, like the, the consciousness or like the mentality of among Asia male, uh, specific, specifically those who are in the US or other countries, uh, because they become the minority. And that kind of like feeling uh, justifies any kind of violence uh, against other type of gender or other type of minority. So uh, Julie, you said that like Bobby Lee or other kind of uh, celebrities, Asian American celebrities, they talk about how bad being an Asian American male in the US and that justifies everything what they are saying. Like, uh, hey lady, you don't understand our, our, our situation, something like that. Well, at, at least you can date with them, but we we are not even <laughs> dateable or whatever. Yes, I think that was the kind of their mentality. Mm -hmm. uh, Actually, this was we, we didn't discuss a lot about this uh, in the in the previous section, uh, the the reading group. Uh, but I I, I was uh, like interested in this topic. I mean, what I what I liked about that session, I think, kind of like epitomizes what I like about Hung and what we were talking about earlier. Where like when we're talking about like Asian Asian American masculinities, there's there are tons of Asian men who process racism and turn it into like violence against women, where they they feel how they're being located um, by like systems of oppression and then take it out on women as like not choosing the proper, I don't know what what are the insult terms, not choosing the proper mates or whatever. And I and I think that like the way that we approach the conversation wasn't just haranguing on like MR Asians. And um, like those types of people, which is like, you know, it's always easy to like humiliate that kind of perspective. Uh, but instead we had like a really um, 
like candid and like open-ended conversation about um, like the mechanics behind how uh, like Asian men can be located in a sexual hierarchy and like the kinds of experiences that one must have to like sort of descend into that state of being. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really appreciated that because um, like it's it's such a it's such a it could be such a difficult topic. I've I'm so I've been so low energy today because of the um, Ukraine thing and like right. there's mm. the the fucking like leftist. There's I see so many leftists on Twitter. I shouldn't be on Twitter, but I've been seeing <laughs> them of people who are either they're like defending either empire, you know, either sympathizing with Putin or they're just buying into the whole US empire geopolitical bullshit. Mm. Um, and so like when I was coming, I, I'm always like, ah, oh, I always have really great things to say about home, but today I'm like so fucking low energy. But yeah, I just wanted to like uh, touch on uh, what Julie said earlier. I can't remember the exact word, but it kind of was expressed through a scream. And I feel that way a lot. And, you know, I don't want to use the word Han here, but sometimes I just want to scream. People look at me and they expect, oh, you must be a very silent, quiet, docile Korean woman. Um, but, you know, like most of the time, I just want to walk around and slap everyone on the face. Like, <laughs> that's all. So that's how I feel. <laughs> so thank you for expressing yourself, Julie. Thank you. But I mean, I think um, that scream is like, is, is like equal parts, um, you know, anger and joy, because it is such a pleasure to actually like voice those concerns because they go largely unvoiced, as you said, like people just make these um, assumptions about you. So you end up internalizing them in direct and in conscious and unconscious ways. Right. So I think to add to the patting of our patting of our own backs and self-congratulations. Like I do feel like genuinely this is the first space that I could um, voice these concerns in the presence of other men, especially Korean men, actually. Like I, I think I'm, you know, in addition to like maybe the dentist, I think one of my <laughs> biggest fears has been <laughs> Korean men actually. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it's it's been um it's it's been a very therapeutic process in that way. And I hope it continues to be. Yeah, yeah. And I another thing that I wanted to talk about also, I'm not sure if anybody else um has anything to say, but like joy. Like I think this is one of the first times I've been able to feel like expressing joy through around and with um, being Korean, because there's this, there's this like ever present narrative about um, Koreanness being about struggle, right. And like uh, struggle, work, labor, you know, um, someone, someone was talking about like racial uplift, I think, and those kinds of strategies of str struggle and exploitation. And honestly, I remember, I think, the words that I remember my mom saying the most to me were like, like, oh, like, oh, you struggled a lot. Oh, you know, like you worked really hard. Um, and I think both in, in my research and in my life, I've just been really, um, 
ardently pursuing joy. And I think Hung has been, you know, a massive part in that. Yay. I love that. That's awesome. Amazing. We love it. Yeah, but I I I wanted to share a question about how Hung, I don't know, Hung differs from the organizations you if like you have belonged to like before now. Because I think yeah, Hung, yeah, we talked about it a little bit because Hung doesn't have any like physical base. You know, so it's basically a digital, a virtual space or organization in which people, uh, like yeah, join together to write something or like just talk, like having conversation and checking in, and also record podcasts like this. Um, yeah, so it's pretty like decentralized body. I was just wondering how did you feel about this? Because, uh, for example, I am a union member, as you might know, and I am a member of another like a student graduate student association of the my of my department, which is a little bit like uh, different from the union, but it has some commonality. So I felt really different because Hung. <laughs> What makes him different from my perspective was that because for the first time in the U.S. probably, uh, I had a conversation, uh, like um, a genuine conversation, I I would say, uh, like with any kind of topics, uh, thanks to the people's vulnerability, openness. And even though that conversation happened through these like virtual channels like Zoom. Yeah, most of the time we use the Zoom uh, uh, platform. But uh, what I appreciated was that we consistently had conversation, checking in, talking about like, readings, reading materials, any kind of political situation or like personal situation. And it, it, it was interesting because uh, this kind of conversation actually you expect through your social relationship, you know what I'm saying? So with your friends and colleagues, uh, which who, who are, who exist like close to you, like physically. Uh, but now I feel like I'm having more like in-depth conversation with the members of him, uh, like more than the, the friends I have here. Uh, no, no. Yeah, even though I love them and my friends in, uh, here yeah, close to me, if you are listening, I love you. But, but anyways, uh, <laughs> but I really like uh, appreciate the conversation we are having, like continuous. Right? So we are, first we focus on kind of the membership conversation among us. Like, so the podcast is the channel the, each intention is to share what I'm, what we are doing, what we are saying, what we are thinking with the wider public. I don't know why, why, why the people, um, and yeah, but I, I think we, this is really good balance between the publicity and the kind of internal membership conversation. But I, I think, uh, yeah, just, just kind of like the context or like what, what I've how I felt about him conversation as an organizational body. And then I would love to hear from you if you have any thoughts, but. um... No, thank you for that. Does anyone want to jump in? Yeah, I can jump in. Um, I don't think I've been part of too many sort of formal organizations. I was heavily involved in um, the, my graduate student union for my department. Um, 
last year and I'm still in touch today quite a bit. Um, but I noticed like there was a really deep aversion to making any kind of political statements I found, which was really odd because it's a student organization and a fairly progressive one at that, especially in the university. And I remember we had to have some kind of response to the um, Azarova situation at the law school. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that. Yeah, um, Dr. Azarova was offered a very high um, position at the law school. Um, some kind of human research committee. Um, and due to the request of a large donor, she the, the, the offer was rescinded due to her work on Palestine. And, and this was like an extremely unusual situation. And of course she appealed and blah, 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 blah. And the Canadian Association of University Teachers caught, uh, imposed a censure onto the university. So there was no... Um, uh, visitors coming to the university, we weren't allowed to, no university, other community or other university would uh, hold events at our space um, until they uh, re-offered the position, which they eventually did. And she, you know, uh, unsurprisingly rejected it this time around. Yeah, and and we had to put out some kind of response from or statement from the censure because of course the department was handing it, handling it in a very, um, it took me a while to realize that they were effectively trying to do nothing, the other members of the student union, um, especially the executive team. And I don't know, it was, it was just very confusing, especially because we did have a lot of Palestinian students and a lot of researchers doing work on Palestine. Um, and it was, uh, it, the whole process was just confusing. I don't know that, you know, we weren't even discussing what to do and what to say. We were discussing, should we do anything at all? Which I felt, felt like was a pretty easy, easy question to answer. Um, and before that, I, unfortunately, I have to go back to our previous <laughs> highs, uh, high and mine's previous uh, discussion about gender, I think, especially in organizing and leftist spaces where I have been, you know, chased out of a, a lot of organizing spaces um, for gender, race, sexuality reasons. Like I've been stalked from so many kinds of leftist organizing spaces. So, I mean, I think it did feel safe um, in this kind of like disembodied way, weirdly enough, um, and building trust over the internet did in a lot of ways feel feel safer to me on that. Uh, on those grounds, yeah. This this space has been different from most of the organizations I've been in, um, mostly because they I've really only just been in like student orgs and stuff, um, and a lot of them are like not only are they hierarchical, but they're like very safely stashed away in places where they can't really do anything effectively, like an undergrad. I was in student government and a lot of that, even though those types of organizations are ostensibly about advocating for students' needs, a lot of times I felt like I was there to um, valorize the decisions made by university administrators. Um, and I, I would get a similar feeling when I was in uh, grad school, we had this um, like grad student organization that was PhD students and um, MA students, and um, it was hard to 
get people <laughs> to advocate for themselves, if that makes sense. Like there are certain situations, I, I don't really know how much, I, I don't really know what to say publicly, um, not that it's like squirrely or anything, but um, like there are situations where clearly a decision was made that um, was whittling away at like student access to resources and like the building and stuff. And like, I had to argue pretty vociferously uh, uh, to like get people to say like, no, like we should retain access to this or that, um, which was something that I didn't expect to have to do. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think in this group, well, like the stakes aren't articulated the same way. Like we're not in relation to an administrative body, thank fuck. Um, so we're just like kind of doing our own thing. Because I've been mostly insulated to like the reading group and stuff, um, I I haven't really looked too much at like we've put out like statements on like political issues and I think on the podcast stuff gets covered like that um, and there's like I saw talk of like covering certain aspects of like Korean history um, like I I think it's nice to have all those things without a heavy imposition that they have to be done in a sense. Like I, like I kind of like the informality of the group because people are doing really cool things and they're finding a space to put that content out. Um, but also it's not like, there is no one singular mode of engagement where it's like, well, you have to be a part of this and that and do all of that. Yeah, like I, I'm really invested in the continuing of important things like the podcast, like making political statements, like the reading group and the, and the writing workshop. But as a, as a point of like uncertainty, I don't really know how that would best be done in this group because I've never been in a group uh, structured like this. I mean, I think that's a great thing. Like uh, we're free to keep adjusting our respective boundaries and go with whatever flow ends up happening, right? Yeah, for myself personally, I the organizations I've been part of are also very complacent, very passive, I would say. But I feel like uh, through Hung, I've been able to kind of um, stumble upon uh, a group of people who are similarly pissed off, but also, you know, not just wanting to be pissed off, like Julie said earlier. Um, it's exhausting having to be in uh, spaces where nobody else wants to speak up. So I'm glad we're talking. Yeah, I think like as Justin said, like we did a lot of like uh, like events and uh, like wrote like some political statements like recently and but also like especially in the in the first year like which was uh, like the big the beginning of the pandemic, right? And then uh, we try to like like create more like other other spaces so that we can talk uh like focusing on kind of the internal dynamics uh among membership and then now we are seeing uh other types of like initiatives like uh, a creative workshop and then uh just like more like informal conversations between like one-on-one -on -one conversation between members so i i think yeah it's yeah, just like I mean, like it's interesting that how Hung can be translated or transformed into other uh, shape, like uh, what kind of like, activities we can invent. Like, yeah, rather than just like fixing it as a some kind of 
organization. Uh, uh, in Hung, this is what we are supposed to, uh, rather, instead of having that kind of structure, uh, even though it sounds corny, corny a little bit, but I think like I like the flexibility and then the openness of this organization, like unstructuredness, even though it could be also dangerous not having any structure, because sometimes that really has really deteriorating the really bad effect on like the members energy right uh, but but i think until now it, it has been really great uh, we are seeing more people uh, new folks uh, and new events new like, activities so uh, sounds like yeah if you are listening please join <laughs> 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 yeah i don't know yeah we have no structure so you can just reach out to us <laughs> oh my god I think that's the great thing too. Um, I've personally been able to meet a lot of these uh, wonderful people in person. Oh, sorry. I was kind of speaking to like this imagined audience. <laughs> uh, I understand now. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw you turn to the camera in my mind. Oh my eye. gosh. <laughs> but anyways. Uh, who, who wrote the like about us and stuff? Um, that's a good question. Anybody <laughs> knows? <laughs> uh, I, I think that's uh, like one of the, how say, initial members or beginning members. Like, so there were some folks who were in South Korea at the time, and then maybe Yangho or other members like Rachel, they might have participated in writing or this kind of or like mission statement and everything yeah but uh i think the none of us in this uh, zoom room uh participated in that kind of uh about us stuff so that's why like another member chris wants to like bring it up so that we can talk about it um how we feel about that statement uh, because it really characterizes what we are doing right uh, like even though yeah it's just like the website page web web page but um i think it it, it matters it worth to think about it uh, but justin you you since you brought up what why how do you feel about that um i mean i like it i <laughs> i think that uh like i think it could be updated in the sense that i feel like we could be more specific about the kinds of spaces that we're that we're making but i mean i i thought it was a good statement that wasn't supposed to be you know that wasn't a derogatory question i was just i was just generally genuinely wondering i also really like it like every time i read it i just feel like it really encapsulates what we have been doing and what we continue to do it just looks different every time yeah pr um, props to props to unknown yeah <laughs> I, think rachel, I feel like it was rachel but oh, rachel park yeah so what are we what are we looking forward to in the future? What do we want to see in the space of Hung? Um, what would we like to imagine and actualize? Uh, to, to be quite solipsistic, I'm looking forward to the continuing writing workshop just because um, it's it's been like a really good motivator for my own writing. Um, I think that one of the things that I've been thinking about, and I don't have any concrete ideas on how this is executed, but like I would like if there were, if like the different spaces that we had talked to each other more in a sense of like, 
I, I don't want to use the word like cross promotion, but like, I, I feel like, I feel like all these disparate spaces can be improved by like looking at their relation to the other spaces. And I know that we don't want like a, a uniform standardized top-down view of Hung, but I feel like there must be some overarching way for us to bring everything together. And I think that's sort of um, what I'm hoping for in the future, like some way for us to connect spaces even more. I feel like you've kind of been doing that like this entire uh, episode, like you've kind of brought together your experiences in like the different uh, spaces. So thank you for being a bee. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm also really looking forward to continuing uh, uh, creative workshops. I already said this uh, in the previous session uh, that it's really great to have an audience like uh, with 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 them. You can feel really comfortable, right? You can share whatever creative like stuff, like poems, music. Yeah any art uh, you like didn't dare to share uh, with anybody because I don't know for for many reasons right because you just don't feel like politically comfortable with those a certain type of people or like you just like you don't feel like prepared enough like ready enough to share and but I do feel like uh, uh, yeah the, the members in the creative workshop I can do that so it's just like I think I, I'm seeing that it will really give, give me some kind of motivation to reactivate my creative energy, which was really dead like for more than 10 years. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. And then I don't know, and then aside from it, uh, yeah, reading group, like the conversation, I just wanted to make sure to have to hold that space like consistently. So yeah, it's been great since until now. Uh, but like, so yeah, I'm. I think like it was always up and down. So we need to like expect any kind of like uh, situation can happen. But but I think I I I do my best like to maintain the space. And I also hope like other people can chime in, so that we can uh, like I don't know, change, uh, refresh the vibe of the conversation and the topics and new topics. Yeah, also, yeah, I think this is great, like the podcast episode, like like this, like more informal and we are talking each other more, like even though we try to like address the audience, imagine the audience, hey, you are listening. <laughs> but, oh. <laughs> but, but, I, but I think like this kind of like format is also great because like, you know, like uh, when you like talk to somebody with a camera or some recorder or whatever, that gives you a, a little bit weird energy, uh, motivates you to talk a little bit more truthfully even though it sounds very contradictory but uh for some people it does give you some kind of uh, the moment of truth uh just by being by the being uh, the fact that you are in the air you are in the you are being recorded uh that makes you feel like oh this is uh, I, need, I need to be truthful something like that so i hope like the podcast episode like uh, even though we I appreciate the previous episode, like which talks about more political, more official, uh, like with official voices. I think this format is also great because it might give you more opportunities to other members or other not, not non-members to talk each other about any related or non-related stuff. So yeah, so that's it. Amazing. Julie? 
Yeah, I think uh, I think there's just a lot of overlap between what I'm looking forward to and um, what's been mentioned. Um, yeah, just more laughs, more goofs, more conversations. I think for me, it's also given me a lot more confidence in pursuing my own ideas. Um, because quite frankly, a lot of my ideas are really stupid and I'm really motivated by <laughs> stupid. No, they are not they stupid. No, 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 no. So, you know, that I think it was like two reading groups ago, we were trying to um, figure out what white people and Korean people had in common. And oh I, said, and I said, polo shirts. And then <laughs> it led me <laughs> and it led me, uh, into thinking about like, for some reason I said scalf. Yeah, yeah. scalf. Scalf and is I, iconic. Yeah, and right. I've, I've genuinely been ideating um, like a zine called A Beginner's Guide to Scalf. And because I'm in a <laughs> geography department, I've been like holding people hostage, workshopping this <laughs> So, <laughs> um, you know, it's the sections are, what is scalf? Why do we scalf? <laughs> you know? Um, so that's, and I think I've been um, embarrassed to pursue these ideas just because one, you know, it's hard to, um, you know, find and maintain the energy to pursue creative pursuits, but it's also like um, a lot of my ideas are, are very silly and experimental. And I think, um, um, I think it's just like a wonderful space to pursue them and um, you can pursue serious ideas while still maintaining, um, you know, this kind of experimentation, experimental culture, sociality between all of the um, groups of uh, members of Hung, which is really great. Yeah, I shouldn't have gone last. It's <laughs> 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 okay, I'll go last. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, I think we should put a scarf in our mission statement. <laughs> uh, FYI, a scarf means uh, what does that mean, Julie? It's um. This is what I've got so far. Scarf is um confronting the urban politics of golf with <gasps> the urban politics of skateboarding. Um, <laughs> it's not a marriage; it's a confrontation. So. Mm-hmm. Um, wow! Damn. It's uh, what scalf looks like is going into uh, uh, either already or rapidly gentrifying neighborhoods and uh, creating as much property damage as possible. (laughs) Um, So it's a it's a it's 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 a leisurely activity. It's also a political act. It's also a, a form of exercise. I yeah, love it. I love it. Yeah. So, uh, oh yeah. So, uh, I think the one the eligibility to be a member of Hung is that you should hate uh, golf. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry for golf players. Uh, yeah, I'm joking. What about mini golf? Good question. Yeah, we need to <laughs> we need to discuss uh, about that <laughs> in about, the future admin golf? meeting. I, no, I can but, hear James making a note saying, edit all of this out. <laughs> no, no, never. <laughs> and we congratulate ourselves. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to say that, yeah, I think um, Chris has been really instrumental in like um, continuously 
encouraging us to be very gracious with ourselves and just uh, have fun. I think Chris really wants us to have fun. And I really appreciate that Chris has wanted us to have fun because I feel like we're having fun. Are we having fun? <laughs> yeah. Are we having fun? I feel like it'd be it'd be so sad if this group became like a a mirror of like purely academic discourse. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm all for pursuing silly ideas and doing all this shit. Mm-hmm. Who says we can't have fun and learn things at the same time? <laughs> Is that, how are we ending? Is this how we're ending? Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. I, I feel like we are ending, right? <laughs> wait, we all wait, 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 wait. So like uh, Sungu wanted to do this, but can we try a preemptive version? Can we all scream at the same time? And then James, you just cut the recording like uh, whenever you want. Oh, I'm, I'm physically incapable of screaming. You can do a baby scream. Yeah, let's, let's try. We, yeah, let's do it. Okay. One, two, three. Ah! Oh. 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 It's not a scream, it's a spooky ghost noise. Thank you for listening to Hello Everyone Under Neoliberal Garbage. Music is provided by Hell King with media and cover art provided by Grayson. You can find him at Grime Ninja. The podcast is produced by me, James Hilmer. Putin Coalition is a group of writers, translators, scholars, and activists committed to generating and sharing critical perspectives on Korea. You can learn more at HoonCoalition.com or you can reach the podcast team by email at HoonCoalitionPodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for more episodes.